Well, it's good to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to come and share the word with you this morning. Um, just recently, of course, as we annually celebrate uh, the personal appearing of our Lord Jesus as a babe in Bethlehem, we remember the fulfilled promise of God to send a deliverer. And this deliverer, who would take our sins away permanently and forever, so making perfect peace with God, perfect peace between God and those who trust Christ as Savior. While it is beneficial to look back to God's fulfilled promises, it's also very encouraging to look forward to the things to come. To the things to come when all of God's perfect plan is fulfilled and the present state of things is concluded. Then our eyes will see and our ears will hear and it will enter into our heart what God has prepared for those who love him. Because we will see him face to face and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and the former things will be forgotten. Although man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward, God is the great problem solver of the ages. While man sins by nature and by choice, God saves by nature and by choice, and God's ability to save is greater than sin's ability to condemn. That's why the scripture states that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. God has established the Redeemer of men from before the foundation of the world and sent him at the appointed time to come to earth as a sinless Savior, born a babe who grew to manhood and died the perfect sacrifice for sin. All sin of all time was paid for by him, so making peace for all who will avail themselves of the solution God provides. This reveals God's grace and mercy and his love toward mankind. Part of God's plan was for Jesus to be the sacrifice for sin. But now have a, having accomplished this, Jesus has other roles to play in God's redemptive and glorious uh, plan. One of those things is to establish the eternal state by which all things become new and the effects of sin are forever overcome. Overcome by our gracious God who saves completely and judges righteously. The scripture portion this morning is in Revelation, starting in chapter 21, and we'll just continue on through the text. The text is straightforward and will highlight various points as we proceed through it. Before we get into it, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer thanks to you for your word that you have given to us, that you have written to us, this love letter of, um, of your making that your Holy Spirit has directed. We recognize as well, Lord, that you are the author, you are the finisher of our faith, you are the beginning and the end. We recognize as well, Lord, that we are insufficient for that which you call us to, but you will have, are all sufficient. And so we trust in your sufficiency today to guide, direct us, open our hearts, open our minds to the word that you have. And we want to give you honor and praise for all that is in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the Old Testament, the millennial kingdom was prophesied, and it will be fulfilled when Jesus returns to set up and rule for a thousand years, as the scripture states clearly in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 to 7. In every one of these verses, that is six verses in a row, God states the millennial nature or the thousand-year nature of his kingdom. And while this kingdom is the high point of Old Testament promise, 
It is not the fulfillment of David's covenant, which stated that David will have a descendant on his throne forever and a dynasty that lasts forever. This promise is fulfilled in the eternal order revealed in Revelation 21, uh, beginning in verse 1 and continuing on. In order for this promise to be fulfilled, there must first be an eternal person to fulfill it. We have that person in the Savior sent so many years ago to be born among us and to die to save us for all eternity. Now we need an eternal throne and an eternal age. Our text this morning will provide this for us by way of the revelation given to the Apostle John around 90 AD. In fact, all that can be known about the eternal age is found in this portion of Scripture. A little bit of what eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, and the heart of man cannot imagine is revealed for us in this section of Scripture. Turn, if you would, to Revelation beginning in chapter 21 and starting in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. We hear much today of a new world order, but this is the real deal. The real new world order is not installed by the political intrigue of man, but by God himself. The first heaven and earth are gone with their attendant disorder and the sea, which is a picture of judgment and turmoil, and primarily among the Gentile nations. But those are gone, and the new heaven and the new earth are here. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now a holy city is coming down, not established by the efforts of men, but by God, who sends it down from heaven and has prepared this new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband. The text does not say the city is the bride at this point. We will see that later on. We know that the church is the bride of Christ, but the city is prepared as a bride for, that, for her husband. This gives the picture of purity and chastity and honor and beauty. The city whose builder is God, the very one, it appears, that Abraham looked forward to, though he dwelt in tents while here on earth. In Hebrews 11, 8, 9, and 10, we read this regarding Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabern tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This new Jerusalem appears to be the very city that Abraham looked forward to. Moving on to verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now an affirmation from heaven that God himself will dwell with men and he will know them personally, as he will be known personally by the people. The dwelling place of God is with men, not temporarily, but permanently. God, 
Can you imagine what it would be like when God addresses you by name for the first time? What will that be like when he addresses you by name for the very first time? And we can talk to him, and we can converse with him, maybe not in the same vein as the, as the people on the children's feature, but we can still talk with him face to face. It'll be an amazing thing. God will know us by name, and we will know him personally as well. In verse 4, it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. The conditions that will prevail when God is permanently dwelling with men are the opposite of those which existed in the former state. As the first earth and the first heaven are passed away, so too will be the conditions that characterized the first earth and the first heaven. The tears will be gone, death will be no more, sorrow will not exist, crying will cease, and pain does not enter into the dwelling place of God. These are all conditions of the first order. They cannot coexist in the eternal order. They cannot exist with that which God has prepared for those who love him. They are the former things, and they are gone forever. On to verses 5 through 7. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And now we find out who is creating this new world order. It is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We could say the Genesis and the Revelation. This is none other than the Savior who was once the born babe at Beth, or the babe born at Bethlehem. Later crucified and risen the third day, who now is ascended to the right hand of God who will return and take all believers with him before the tribulation tries all those who dwell upon the earth. Notice that just as in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life is offered freely. He said they can, eat, they can take from the water of life freely. Those to, to whom these things are offered are called the overcomers. So who are the overcomers and how can we know that we are one of them? The scripture tells us that in 1 John 5, 4, for whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. There's, this, there's a hymn that says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It's, it's right out of 1 John 5, 4. The overcomer is the person who has trusted Christ as Savior, and our faith is in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Timothy, or excuse me, Titus 2.14 states, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He doesn't redeem us from some iniquity. He redeems us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's an exchange that takes place. 
When you trust Christ as your Savior, or I trusted Christ as my Savior, he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. That's the exchange that took place. That's how we are made the righteousness of God in him. He does it for us. We don't do it for ourselves. So we are made overcomers fit for the eternal blessings of God by nothing but faith in the finished work of Christ who gave himself for us. But there is a warning as well, and it's directed to those who do not believe the gospel. They are defined by their works of unrighteousness because of one thing and one thing alone. They have not trusted Christ as Savior. And in fact, they have rejected Christ as Savior. As such, they are defined not by the righteousness of Christ given to them by God, given to them by God's grace as our believers, but they are identified by their own activities, which only condemn them to the lake of fire, which burns for all eternity. And we know that that lake of fire was not meant for people. It was meant for the devil and his angels. So thus we have two eternal states, one for the believer and one for the unbeliever. Both believers and unbelievers are identified by that in which they put their trust. The believer puts his trust in the Lord Jesus. The unbeliever puts their trust in themselves. And so that's how the scripture describes them here as well. So both believers and unbelievers are identified by that which they trust. The believer trusts in Christ alone, while the unbeliever trusts in himself alone. And their destiny is determined by the object of their trust. And in verse 8, it goes on to say, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They aren't defined by the righteousness of God because they've rejected the righteousness of God. So thus there is eternal bliss for the believer who apprehends Christ as Savior, and there is eternal torment for those who reject God and his gospel and the deliverance available to them. God created us and he loves us dearly, so much so that he came here in person and paid the full debt for all of our sin, for all people, that we can be saved completely. When we trust Christ to save us, we receive the Holy Spirit, who is God. So when a person rejects salvation, they are actually rejecting God himself. Is it any wonder God is offended by this refusal to accept his gracious and priceless offer? God is willing to save us even now, if we are willing to trust him even now. On to verse 9 and 10 of chapter 21. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So now it appears that the bride of Christ, the church, is become the new Jerusalem, the great city, the holy Jerusalem, and it comes from God out of heaven. The idea that the church is the city 
is supported by Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Excuse me a moment. So in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 19, it says, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So we see there that picture that we as believers are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and actually it says we're being built into a holy temple. It's interesting how, God, how in the scriptures, particularly in Revelation, we have this constant picture of, of a bride being a city, and now we have the church being the bride and being built up into a temple. And then 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 through 11 says, We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building." Again, the church is described as a building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another build it thereon, and let every man take heed how he builds thereon, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This new Jerusalem is the habitation of God. The foundation stones, as we will see later, have the names of the apostles in them. And possibly the various building blocks of the New Jerusalem contain the names of all believers of all time. If that's so, can you imagine being in this city and seeing your name on the building blocks of the New Jerusalem? What emotions is that going to, to draw? Some believe that this new Jerusalem is the city in which the bride will eternally reside rather than the bride being the city, but the text alone suggests the bride is the city. And we could debate that, but God will reveal that to us in due time. There is a contrasting parallel in Revelation chapter 17 regarding mystery Babylon, who is also described as a woman, although a harlot, not a bride, and she is also called a great city. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels, which had, this, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying to me, come here and I will... I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot that sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the, the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, uh, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. 
And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And if you go down to verse 18, the angel uh, finishes off his description with this statement. And he says, the woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So again, we see that that comparison of a woman, in this case, um, a harlot, which is also a city that reigns over the kings of the earth and and will be eventually destroyed forever. And we see the new Jerusalem as a city, but the bride of Christ. So Satan's counterfeit city and system of iniquity is described possibly by the same angel who has revealed the new Jerusalem as the bride of the Lamb. One need not be contentious about the details at this point, but in any case, the text goes on to describe the beauty and perfection of the new Jerusalem in contrast to the unholiness and the corruption of the city connected to Mystery Babylon. And so while Mystery Babylon shall be destroyed, the New Jerusalem will last forever. On to verse 11 in Revelation 21. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal, and it had a wall great and high and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So now we have another feature, another feature of um, the New Jerusalem, where we see the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. They're on the gates of the city, not on the foundation stones, but on the gates of the city. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city. And the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lies four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are all equal. Now, we don't really know furlongs in these days, but 12, if my uh, math is correct here, 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles. So in Canada, that would be from about the Pacific coast to the east coast of Lake Superior. And then from our southern border to the northern border of Canada and Alaska. And then in addition to that, the city is 1,500 miles high as well. Not just wide and long, but 1,500 miles high as well. So that gives us something to the tune of 3.375 billion cubic, cubic miles would be the volume of the New Jerusalem. If I did the math right, you can check me out. And he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits, on to verse 17, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the building of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, then sapphire, Chalcedony, emerald, 
sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprasus, jacinth, and the twelfth was amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. So having given us this majestic description of the holy, the holy city, the gates and the foundations, we shift our focus to the presence of God in the city as the temple. In verse 22, it says, I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So now again, we have that same, that same comparison between a person and a building. So we have now, it's telling us that God and the Lamb are the temple. So we're, we're getting that comparison throughout the scripture in numerous times. The city has no need of a temple because God and the Lamb are the temple. And on to verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So the Lamb is the temple, but the Lamb is the light as well. The light within the city is the, the Shekinah glory of God, which we have seen by many occurrences in the scripture. From the first verses of Genesis in which God said, let there be light, and light was, to the glory of the Lord shining round about the shepherds at the birth of Christ, to the transfiguration, and many other instances in the Bible, so the Shekinah glory dwells in the holy Jerusalem for all eternity. As a result, there is no need of light, for God himself is the light. And verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So all the saved of all time and all nations, Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation saints, millennial saints will dwell in the city. Jesus will take in any and all who come to him. In John 6:37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. If he won't cast you out, he has to take you in. So anyone who turns to Christ, he will take them in. He doesn't refuse anyone. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there will be no night there. So night will no longer exist in the eternal state, because God is constantly present. Neither are the gates ever shut, because all evil is forever dealt with in the lake of fire, the place prepared for the devil and his angels. And on to verses 26 and 27. And they shall bring their glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abominations or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So only those in the Lamb's book of life will dwell there. That can be all of us here if we are willing to trust in the perfect salvation of Christ our Lord. And on to 22, chapter 22. And he showed me a pure water, a, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The health of the nations is assured by the leaves of the tree of life, not the fruit. The fruit of the tree bestows eternal life. 
and is freely provided as it always has been. Never has eternal life been given as a reward for good behavior. It's a gift given by God because it is so valuable that no one can buy it, and only God can provide it. Eternal life is a gift because it cannot be attained by human merit. It is a divine gift as perfect as God himself. In fact, the gift of God is the Holy Spirit, who is God. God himself is the gift of eternal life. So when a person rejects the gift of eternal life, that person is really rejecting God himself. On to verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. The curse is gone, and only the throne of God will be there. His servants who bear his name serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. The servants of God are identified by the name of the one that they serve. Interestingly enough, back in um, Revelation earlier chapters, it talks about the servants of Antichrist being, being identified by also the name of Antichrist on their forehead or on their hand. So it's interesting, God's, God's servants are identified by his name in their forehead as well. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So again, we see the Shekinah glory described as being the only light necessary and all sufficient for the eternal state. And he said to me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And on to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Again, the water of life, eternal life, is, a, is freely offered. It doesn't come with a price tag. Well, it comes with a price tag, but a price tag that someone else paid, the Lord Jesus himself. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So thus the promised birth of the Savior culminates in the eternal state and all the promised um, prophesied prophecies promised of God are fulfilled in and by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the great tidings that shall be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So when we see at the beginning, when we were told about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's more to it than just the babe in Bethlehem. So I hope that taking this brief look at what God is preparing for those who trust in him for salvation is an encouragement to you. 
There is a wonderful message beyond the fulfilled promise of the Christ child born so many years ago. The promise that believers will dwell with God in the holy city whose builder and maker is God himself. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Don, for that message. And for our closing hymn, a hymn of response, number four, 541. And we will sing the first three verses, and then I'll ask Don to come up for a closing prayer, and then we'll sing verse 4. 541. <clears throat> Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. 
Amen.